Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Kai Wright, and these are The Stakes. In this episode, Don Foss, he's the boss. Hello. Do you have a minute? We are reporters from New York Public Radio. My name's Anjali. This is Christopher. I'm not interested at all. This is Anjali Comet at a car dealer in Queens, New York. Just want to get a sense of how the used car business works. She's trying to get information for a story about one of the most common business transactions. Buying a used car. You gotta go up the street. Who do we go to? I don't know, but go to the other stores. We don't do reporting here. And it's not going well. So guys, I'm yeah. gonna help you another day. Not right now. I'm yeah. by myself. I'm missing one of myself. Red, you know, so please. It'll just take a few minutes. I mean, please. But Anjali's out here because there's this thing that happens on these car lots. Something that tells us a lot about the American dream. Queens is a place where that dream is still quite vivid in people's minds. It's home to hundreds of thousands of immigrants from all over the world. And they've come to the U.S. looking for freedom and opportunity, which in this country has long been associated with owning two things, a home and a car. So Anjali has spent months trying to understand what happened to one young man who walked into one of these car lots and walked out thinking he'd gotten the keys to his own freedom and opportunity. And what his story tells us about the larger economy. Hey, Celeste. Hi, how are you? How are you? Good to see you. Meet Anuin Meta Anuin Jean-Francois Celeste. He goes by Celeste. He grew up in Burkina Faso, a small country in West Africa. About five years ago, he had to leave a bad situation and came to New York. He was 19. And right from the start, Celeste was a man with a dream. And actually, quite large ambitions. He wanted to help take care of people. I wanted to go to med school. You do your research, of course, and then you run into those obstacles, which is, you know, medical school debt, just especially the debt. You know, that scares you because you don't... Celeste came here with a high school diploma, and he's been careful and methodical as he's made his way in the U.S. If you're on your own here, you need to mostly take the safest route and the quickest one. So he did what everybody does. He turned to Google. I think I remember I was sitting down and then I Google, like, what could you do if you can't go to med school? Stuff like that. (laughs) And the nursing pop-up in the review in Google there. And then, (laughs) yeah, that's what I did. That's what I did. So he studied English for a year to improve his language skills. He applied to a nursing course at Hostos Community College in the Bronx, and he got in. But now he had to figure out how to support himself as a student. And were you concerned about money and surviving in America and and surviving in New York? Mm, I was at the beginning, yes. I was. But then I also figure there are certain jobs that you can do. Like working in restaurants. He was hired at a Japanese place. Or, Were you waiting tables? Yeah, I was, I was a waiter at that time. Mm-hmm. People would walk into that restaurant and just see a black guy standing there. <laughs> it was really weird, you know? What did people say? Yeah, well, people was like, how did you end up in a Japanese restaurant? You know, things like that. Do you and like Japanese food? I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, I do love that. Yeah. With scallion and soy sauce. Oh, mm. Lord. <laughs> but restaurant work turned out to be a hard fit for Celeste. 
He wasn't quite getting enough hours, and when he did, it got in the way of his schoolwork. Once you get into the nursing program, you know, study, you fail, and everything you've done, you lost it, you know. I was like, I need to probably do Uber, because that can also help me have the same flexibility in terms of school and everything. How did you hear about Uber? Like, did somebody tell you about it? Yes, because one of the waiters that left, actually, he left because he went to the Uber, you know. And people were saying that, you know, they can make 15, some people say $2,000 a week in Uber, you know. So I was like, wow, if you can make that, that's fine. That's good. He said that it's good if you have your own car. Okay, so you're thinking, right, $2,000 a week from Uber. Maybe. But that's not the point here for Celeste. The point is, Celeste decided his nursing school ambition was going to require another investment, a car. Because remember, in the long-running story of the American dream, a car is a ticket to freedom. And so, it's back to Google. Celeste finds a used car dealer in Queens on Northern Boulevard. So I saw the car, the Chrysler. It was about 10,000 advertised. And then the mileage was like 8,000, which is, you know, pretty good. So when I got there, I met one of their Asian so he took me to the car, and it really looked basically the same. So it looked pretty good. Yeah. You were feeling excited at this point. Very. He told me that the down payment would be 4000 and then I will have 6000 to pay off, you know. But so then you I are did, making this mental calculation. Should, like, yeah. I have to pay 4000 now. I have 6000 left, and that's and not bad. Was $4,000 a lot of money for you to make a down payment? It was, because I had, I think, about like 6000 at that time in my account. And I think he saw that because he asked my permission to see my bank account. He was saying that he was going to make sure I get the best deal out of everything. I was like, all right. So I kind of trusted him. So at this point, the agent tells him, wait right here. He's going to look for a bank that's willing to lend him the rest of the money. And this is happening in real time? Like, Celeste has made a down payment. He's given him the $4,000 from his bank account, and it's, like, right there. Yeah, according to Celeste, the agent looked at his bank account right then and there and then told him what the down payment should be. Huh. And so Celeste now thinks he has to pay another $6,000, which he's going to need to borrow. And does he have the credit for that? Not really. He's a 21-year-old student who just right. got here. Right. Okay. And so then how do they get the credit on the fly then? What would the dealer come up with? So, need a new car? Tired of being turned down for financing? Well, credit acceptance can help. We're a finance company that works with car dealers across the country who specialize in helping consumers with no credit or bad credit. All right, to get started. Credit acceptance. This is actually not a bank, to clarify. It's a finance company out of Michigan. And if you're financing a used car, there's a good chance you'll run into them. They're one of the top five lenders in the country for that. Well, if you got no credit, the boss can guarantee you'll get it. The boss, he's the boss. You need a car, he'll come. Don Foss. He's the guy who founded Credit Acceptance. This guy is a legend in the used car business. There's a lot of streams and rivers in this country, but there's only one Mississippi. And there are many great people in this industry, many great people in this industry, but there's only one like this man. And you know what he is? He's systematic, he's diligent, and he's amazing. The legend, Don Foss. Don, hey buddy. Thanks, man. Foss is short, has a round smiling face, gray hair, and a trim gray beard. And like Celeste, he had a dream and very big ambitions. This is from a film commissioned by Credit Acceptance called The Don Foss Story. 
From a single dirt lot in Detroit, Michigan, to the world's largest used car dealer and founder of credit acceptance, Don Foss made subprime auto financing an industry standard. So, Don, your story pretty much epitomizes the great American dream. I mean, you're trolling me at this point, Anjali. The subprime lending is the American dream. The same subprime lending that broke the whole world just a decade ago. Breaking news here. Stocks all around the world are tanking because of the crisis on Wall Street. There is no question that there is some uh, unsettling times in the housing market and uh, credits associated with the housing market. Nobody, including me, anticipated how the problems that started in the mortgage markets would spread to our credit markets and our banking system and now threaten our entire financial system and our country. Well, but subprime lending is very lucrative. And doing that with car loans is what made Don Foss a legend. He figured out that the real money in a used car lot comes from selling loans. I can't sell every car in town, but I can get a piece of every deal in town. And he did. Remember, he got a start in Detroit, one of the poorest big cities in America. Just ask Sylvia Bulos, a consumer lawyer from Detroit. The Motor City is the Motor City, so it is not the public transit city. And while the car companies want to see everybody in a car, the reality is, is most consumers can't afford a car. They just can't. So there's an enormous market for the loans credit acceptance is selling across the country. Total auto loan debt is at nearly $1.3 trillion. Wow. I mean, everyone talks about student loans, and that's at $1.5 trillion. Auto loans are right behind. If a customer like Celeste is going to walk into a car lot and drive out with a car, he doesn't have a lot of credit options. Uh-huh. And Don Foss, he got that. Right. So what happened to Celeste? Okay, well, remember how Celeste was waiting for the agent at the dealership to find him a loan? Uh-huh. Well, he ends up waiting several hours. And then he's taken to another dealership, and there he's waiting still more. At this point, he's like six hours into the process. At some point, I was like, let me just go back home, and then I come back, you know. And he categorically said, no, that I have to stay so they get rid of it today. He would lose the deal if he left. And then, about half an hour later, yet another sales rep tells him he's found him alone and hands him some paperwork. The top page of the paper was hidden with his hands, and he only showed me the price, which is 14000 And remember, he thought the total cost was going to be $10,000, as advertised. And he'd already put down $4,000. So now he's confused. And he said that since they're financing it, the bank has to have something on it, which is called interest, you know. And I was all new to that. I didn't know even though to me, I was just going to pay back those 6000 back to the bank. And we were all set. I didn't know that the interest would be hiding too much like that. So now he thinks it's 14000 total. And Celeste figures he can manage that. I had the will to work. But Kai, you know how he said the dealer covered the top part of the page? Right. All right, let me show you. So here's a copy of his contract. Uh-huh. And this is what he says the dealer showed him, covering the top part like this. Uh-huh. So read that. Okay, so there's it's $14,000. Right. So now when I take away my hand, see what that says. $17,000 plus tax. It's like, it's more like $19,000. The car wasn't, it was never a $10,000 car. No. Isn't that fraud? I mean, haven't they just lied to him about the price of the car? Well, maybe. That's what Celeste is alleging. And I went back to talk to those auto dealers and emailed them questions, but they just didn't respond. But that's only part of what happened to Celeste. And the other part is definitely legal. 
So when you look at the first page of the contract, it actually spells out that the interest rate is 22.99%. Which is a classically subprime rate. And over five years, that adds up. To many, many thousands more than he would have thought. Yeah, so this is what Celeste doesn't realize when he signs that contract. Including his down payment and interest, he's signing up to pay credit acceptance $32,000 for a 2015 Chrysler 200. For a car that was advertised as $10,000. Yep. So when does he figure all this out? A week later, when credit acceptance mails him the contract and he finally gets to look through it. So this is when I really saw now that the real price was 32000 And what was your reaction? I was really sad, to be honest, and upset too, and naive. I felt like really stupid. But honestly, Kai, he shouldn't feel that way because today there are more subprime borrowers than ever before. And these kind of complaints, they're all too common when you're slotted into that subprime marketplace. And that's when a bank or a finance company considers you to be risky to lend to because of your credit score. And I remember this from reporting on subprime mortgages before the crash, you know, like higher interest rates, hidden terms, and there was often deception and fraud involved. Just getting people to take out loans they just could not afford and would not have taken if they understood. But, I mean, didn't Congress regulate that kind of lending after the crash? Not for auto dealers. And at the end of last year, this is according to the New York Fed, 7 million borrowers were more than three months behind on their car loan payments. That's the highest it's been since the financial crisis. And just like with subprime mortgages, there's a trail that leads from that used car lot on Northern Boulevard, Queens, all the way back to Wall Street. We'll get to that connection in a bit. First... What happened to poor Celeste? That's next. Okay, take us back to Celeste. He realizes he's got a really bad deal, and then what happens next? His luck gets worse and worse. Turns out he can't actually work for Uber. So... So you got the car, but you weren't driving it? No, I wasn't driving it. He's waiting on a bunch of paperwork. But the point is, he's still got to make his monthly payments, $467, even though he can't make money by driving the car. And this goes on for six months. And I started taking out of my savings and all that. I even borrowed money from my friends, too, and all that. And then I was like, okay, it's enough. I won't be able to make it, so I have to give back the car. But that won't work, of course. I mean, you can't just give the car back to the dealer. And anyway, the loan is actually with credit acceptance. Yeah, and he's definitely on the hook for whatever's left of the loan he took out. And that's about $14,000 at this point. But what Celeste doesn't realize is it's probably not just credit acceptance that's waiting on his money. It's very likely that there's also a line of banks and Wall Street investors waiting to get paid. And explain why that's the case. It's basically the same thing that happened with subprime mortgages before the recession. They're pooling these loans into securities and trading them in the market. So imagine millions of subprime car loans, like Celeste, getting bundled together and turned into a new kind of product that gives investors a steady return. This market is worth tens of billions of dollars. And we already know that's risky to the whole system because when all those loans go bad, the investors could lose billions of dollars. And that's got to be pretty common, right? I mean, that people would default on these credit acceptance loans. 
Well, credit acceptance doesn't share their default rates, but from what we do know, they do seem pretty high. A few years ago, they said they end up repossessing over a third of the cars they finance. But here's what's important. Don Foss seems to have figured out how to keep those payments coming, even after someone defaults. I like selling cars, but I wasn't very good at the collections. And I knew that since our profits were tied up in the financing, that if I was ever going to make more profits, we had to get better at collections. And so we started credit acceptance for that purpose. Essentially, credit acceptance is also a debt collection agency. Typically, what happens is if a borrower defaults, like other lenders would hire outside agencies to collect the debt. Mm-hmm. They might even write off some of those defaulted loans as a loss, but not credit acceptance. I would say that their system is pretty unique. I spoke to a former employee at Credit Acceptance. He agreed to explain their business model if we didn't use his name. You're trying to get the customer to owe you as much as they possibly can so that if they default, you can garnish their wages and make a profit that way. And you're doing that by paying the dealer to inflate those contracts for you. So how does that work? They have a computer program that they've developed and own. This is what the thousands of dealers they work with across the country have to use when they're looking for a loan once a customer walks in. Through their CAPS automation system that the dealers use to originate loans, they dictate the terms as far as profitability for the dealer. Dictating to the point of actually telling dealers how much to sell the car for. And then the system will let you play with the term, the interest rate, the sales price, whether or not you're going to add a service contract. So they can pop in a number and quickly see what their cut's going to be, which, of course, is an incentive to inflate the size of the loan. Yeah, and I talked to that former employee again, and he actually showed me a training manual that lays out exactly how much of a markup dealers might want to add to get the maximum profits. Let's say you increase the sales price 3000 but you're charging 23.99% interest. I mean, that's a lot of money that you're adding to that loan. Right, because they're already starting in a bad position. They already obviously have financial issues or else they would have good credit. So you're uh, maximizing their monthly payment. You're really setting them up for failure, in my opinion. And Kai, this really baffled me. Credit acceptance is a public company that seems to be doing extremely well. Mm -hmm. Their stock price has gone up by 2,000% since the last crash. But this guy is telling me they essentially didn't seem to worry a whole lot about whether or not borrowers could pay back these loans. Credit acceptance has a very strong collections process in place once the person defaults on the loan. So if you were to walk into any local courthouse throughout the country, you're most likely going to find credit acceptance hired attorneys there taking people to that courthouse to obtain a judgment. So he's saying they can get a court to enforce judgments on people. But let's get back to Celeste. You said he quit making those monthly payments, which are like 500 bucks, right? Yeah, he eventually realizes he can't keep up, and he gets desperate. He tries to sell the car himself, but he's almost scammed again, this time by a dealer out in Long Island. Finally, credit acceptance repos the car and sells it at auction. But Celeste is still on the hook for over $7,200. At this point, I was calling them to see how much I could pay monthly to get rid of those 7000 you know. And they told me I'm going to have to pay 125 monthly. And I said, no, I can't. I don't have that money right now. But what I can do, I could give you $50 monthly. And they told me, no, that, that's, not, that's not going to happen. 
Credit Acceptance sued Celeste. Plaintiff Credit Acceptance Corporation versus Defendant Anuin J. Meta, a.k.a. Meta J. Anuin. He showed up at the Bronx Civil Court on the fifth floor. And then this thing happened that was an incredible stroke of luck. I met him in court and, like, I was just like, I don't know, like something, he's just a very, like, kind, genuine person. I could see it right away. He met Shauna Tallarico. She's an attorney with the New York Legal Assistance Group, and they provide support to consumer debtors. She just happened to meet Celeste that day and take on his case. Unfortunately, these cases are really fact-intensive, and they take a lot of work, and they're very time-consuming, and there's way more individuals who need representation than there are lawyers who can take on these cases for free. She told me just about 4% of consumer debtors have access to an attorney here in New York City. And what happens if credit acceptance were to win the case? Well, then they have a judgment. It's good for about 20 years, and they can garnish Manane's wages. They can freeze his bank account. Any property that he has can be leaned in the future. And so there's really long-term devastating consequences to these cases. And the judgments are in interest at 9%. The fact that people are unrepresented is very much integrated into the business model. I mean, it sounds like the courts are really working for the debt collectors because, I mean, they're guaranteeing income at 9%. That is a really nice rate. Yeah, especially given how low interest rates are right now. And if you're sued by a debt collector and you don't show up, the debt collector automatically gets a judgment. Shauna says the fact that most consumers don't have lawyers means the courts are just hearing one side of this. The story they hear is just, oh, they didn't make the payments, they owe us money. And that's like the story that the court is hearing over and over again. They're not hearing what happened and the story behind it. The court system that allows you to garnish wages is basically guaranteeing a return. Credit acceptance knows they're going to get their money. Customer loses their job. That's fine. You wait until the customer gets another job and you take them back to court and you garnish their wages again. So it may take more time, but CAC has pretty much guaranteed they're going to collect their money. If he's right, that's a source of income not just for credit acceptance, but also their investors and their bondholders. And this might be one of the reasons why Wall Street loves credit acceptance. The company has issued over $6 billion in securities, and they're all highly rated by the ratings agencies. So the banks and the investors on Wall Street know their securities will get returns. But what happens if the economy turns? Well, again, we're concerned about $1.5 trillion in student debt, and this is $1.3 trillion, and a growing proportion of that is subprime. Mm. This year, a third of new auto loans are subprime. And with rising defaults, that's concerning. The risk can grow much larger. That's former Treasury official Michael Barr. The risk can extend throughout the financial system if there are widespread failures in auto lending. Those can cause harms not only to their consumers and investors, but to the creditors of those auto lenders. That's the banks that are backing the auto lenders, particularly in the subprime sector. We're talking about Wells Fargo, Citigroup, Barclays, Deutsche Bank. All familiar names from the last crash. And are any of them backing credit acceptance? Yeah, Wells Fargo. And again, we're talking billions of dollars. I checked the court filings, and credit acceptance has filed nearly 25,000 cases against debtors in New York State over the past 10 years. Wow. I mean, one study of the company's lawsuits found that in Detroit, they made up nearly 12% of a single court's docket. <laughs> Well, so what happened to Celeste in court? 
having a lawyer like Shauna on his side made an enormous difference. She filed a motion challenging credit acceptance and laying out Celeste's claims in January. Mm -hmm. Six months later, I met up with her in court, and she seemed optimistic. I think they're willing to walk away from the case, but we'll discuss that today because my client is obviously out thousands of dollars for getting involved with this whole transaction in the first place. We have really strong claims. So counsel for the defendant will file a notice of trial that will then be placed on the trial calendar once that has been filed. Is there anything else? Two months later, credit acceptance dropped their case against Celeste. So what does credit acceptance have to say about all this? Well, in an emailed response, they claim the legal process generated less than 2% of their collections last year, but they offered no evidence of that assertion. And they didn't respond at all to the former employees' allegations about inflating sales prices. And my questions about Celeste's case, they wouldn't respond to that, citing privacy laws. I even went to their headquarters in Southfield, Michigan, just outside of Detroit. I'm with Public Radio. My name is Anjali Kamet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm here hoping to meet one of the executives. I've called, I've emailed. I'm doing a story about subprime auto finance. I just came from New York hoping okay. to meet someone. Yeah, I understand, but unfortunately, uh, we, we can't allow you to meet anyone here without appointments. You have to have appointments here. I didn't get far, not past the director of security, whose other title listed on his badge was Officer of First Impressions. <laughs> Officer of First Impressions is so good. Is there somewhere else I should go? Or? You know what? Actually, there's not. So is that company policy, just not um, to speak to press? Well, well, it is. It is. Okay, but where are the regulators on this, Anjali? Well, some state attorneys general are being more aggressive in going after subprime auto lenders. Mm. Right now, with credit acceptance, there are four active investigations in Maryland, Massachusetts, Mississippi, and New York looking into potential violations of fair lending and consumer protection laws. And credit acceptance has also been under investigation by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, since 2017. But there's been no public movement on that front. Right. And how's Celeste doing now? You know, Celeste got really lucky in the end, and today he's back to pursuing his dream. He finished nursing school and just got a job at Lincoln Hospital, and he wants to treat cancer patients. It's a disease that can make you feel powerless, you know, or all lost, maybe, if I can say that, because it's like you're there and you can't get out, you know. I had those feelings sometimes when I was, you know, in my hard times. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, and for a while he was really desperate, and I asked him who he holds responsible for the ordeal he went through. Well, I guess it's all of them. They all have interest on me. They all wanted to get something out of me. That feeling of being had, of being vulnerable as a consumer, it's something we can all relate to. And unfortunately, it's really common because of predatory financial institutions. And if you are on the margins of our economy in any way, you are most likely to have to pay these exorbitant interest rates because poverty is very expensive. Stakes is a production of WNYC Studios in the newsroom of WNYC. 
This episode was reported by Anjali Comet and produced with help from Christopher Johnson, Jessica Miller, and Eli Newman. It was edited by Karen Frillman, who is also our executive producer. WNYC's investigations editor, David Lewis, guided the reporting. Casey Means is our technical director. The Stakes team also includes... Jenny Casas. Marianne McCune. Johnny McCone. Kari Pitkin. Christopher Wirth. And Marilyn Williams. With help from... Hannes Brown. Michelle Harris. And Kim Nowaki. Stay in touch. You can hit me up on Twitter at Kai underscore right. Thanks for listening. This report was produced with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting as part of a collaboration between APM Reports, KCUR in Kansas City, KPCC in Southern California, WABE in Atlanta, and WNYC.